would remain standing for one more moment and open up with me to Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24. We're going to read a good little bit this morning, uh, but if you don't have a Bible with you, it'll be on the screen behind me. We're going to continue on in the book of Colossians, which we've been going through over the past few weeks. So let's read this together. It says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature in Christ, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And then in chapter 2, we're going to start with verse 1 and go through a few more verses. He says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Amen. You may be seated at this time. May God bless the reading of his word. So uh, my name is James Yandel, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And if you're new or visiting with us, I just want to say welcome. We are really, really glad you're here. You'll notice that Pastor John copied uh, my outfit this morning, wore the exact same thing as I did, but that's okay. It's the pastoral garb. Uh, But I'm really glad you guys are here. And uh, I've been at this church for a really long time. If you uh, are sort of newer here, literally the day that I was born, my parents uh, took a detour from the hospital and, and dropped me off on the steps and prayed over me, and they also took me home after that. They didn't leave me there. Uh, But anyway, so I grew up in this church, and many of you helped raise me, and you changed my diapers, and I was in your Sunday school classes, and I've been here for a really, really long time. And the same for Pastor John. We've been here a really long time. And if I'm going to recap Colossians, if I were going to sort of summarize what this book is about, I would say that it's Paul's love letter to the Colossian church. It's Paul's love letter to the Colossian church. And if I had to entitle my message today, I would call it, Why You Need a Pastor, a Love Letter to White Oak from Pastor James. I hope that this morning is sort of like a love letter from me to you, right? So Paul writes a letter to the Colossian church, and it was a love letter, a letter that showed that he loved them, that he cared about them. And I hope in the same way that you know that I love and I care about you, that I love this church and that I'm for it. I hope that this morning is a public testimony of how much I love the people of White Oak. And not just me, but also Pastor John and the other elders, Chris Branson and Joe Garner. I want today to be a public testimony of how much we love you in the faith. I want to go on record and say that we love you. And my goal this morning as we go through Colossians, and it was a pretty big chapter, but we're going to be walking through it. I'm going to explain it. But my goal this morning is to both encourage you and to challenge you. 
Because that's what the word does for us. I wanted to encourage you in the faith, but I also want to uh, challenge you this morning to also live out the faith that we believe. I also want to make the case why you need a pastor. I want to make a case this morning for why you need a pastor. Because let's be honest, in our culture, that's kind of a debatable statement. Right? A lot of times in our culture, people see their spiritual journey as a very private thing. And they don't like to include other people on that journey, right? And what do pastors do? They get all up in your business, right? Pastors get all up in your business. They, they tell you the Bible. They, they rebuke you on sin and all this stuff. And in our culture, we don't really like that. We don't like people telling us what to do. So pastors have sort of fallen along the wayside in our culture. But people have also lost faith in pastors, right? Because you've seen a lot of public scandals of people that are on TV and they fall to a particular sin. And so people see pastors as just hypocritical men and they put them up on a pedestal. And then when something happens, they're like, see, that's why I don't trust pastors. That's why I don't listen to pastors. So I want to speak to that a little bit this morning. Even within the church, I was thinking about this, even within the church, there's some confusion about what does a pastor do? What should I expect out of my pastor? What does my pastor do for me? How does he encourage me in the faith? So I want to talk about these things this morning. Why you need a pastor. I was sort of given a visual here. And this morning I wanted to be sort of like popping the hood of what it looks like for me and John to work week after week on your behalf. What are we doing for you during the week besides Sunday morning that demonstrates our love for you? Because I believe that you've, if you have a clear understanding of that, it will help you to know how to love and serve us as well. So today is sort of like a documentary of a pastor and not just any pastor, but your pastors. It's going to be a documentary of your pastors and what we do to love and serve you. All right, so let's go to verse 24. We got a lot of verses to cover this morning. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, that's where we're going to start. This is what Paul says to the Colossian church. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church. So what Paul's going to do, before he even warns them or exhorts them or tries to teach them in the word, what Paul's going to do is he's going to express his love for the Colossian church. And in the same way, I'm going to express my love for you, White Oak Baptist Church. That's how I want to start out this morning. That in fact, this morning is a love letter to you. And if you don't take anything else from the message this morning, what I want to remind you is that your pastors care about you more than you will ever know. Your pastors, me, John, and the other elders, care about you more than you will ever know. That in fact, God has placed a supernatural love for you in our hearts. That there is an affection in our hearts for you that is God-born, God-breathed, and it's in there, irreversibly linked to you. We love you more than careers. We love you more than money. We love you more than prestige. We love you, and we want your faith to grow. I was thinking about this and all the implications. Your wins are my wins. Your failures are my failures. A death in your family is a death in my family. God has taken my heart and has linked it to your heart in this life. That is what he has done, and I feel it, and I know that it's from him because it wasn't always there, but I feel it now. I've learned that being a pastor means you have no office hours because disaster has no office hours. And when calamity strikes, we as your pastors want to be there for you. 
I want to read you a, uh, this is just getting raw, vulnerable. I want to read you an entry uh, from my journal that I wrote last year. And I don't always journal, but when I do, it's something that's really important to me. And so I just want to read you an entry from my journal when I came on as a pastor full-time. This is what I wrote. I said, as a pastor, I feel a new sense of responsibility, love, and leadership that I've never experienced before. I used to live under the mirage of desiring a successful life. But at White Oak, I see the very real faces of the people that God loves and that I have been charged to lead. When I think of them, the mirage disappears quickly under the weight of that reality, like sin collapsing under the weight of glory. White Oak, your pastors care about you. Your pastors love you. Like I said before, we care about you more than prestige and fame, more than our childhood hopes and dreams. And as Pastor John demonstrated last week, we care about you more than our own physical health. This is a supernatural, God-born love that he has put inside of us. Look at the second part of verse 24. Uh, This is what Paul says. It's sort of a confusing verse, but I want to use this to explain what it means. He says, In my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. And on the first reading, that's sort of a confusing verse, right? Because Paul says, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's suffering. And I don't know about you, but we're just saying about the wonderful and amazing Jesus Christ. And so what could Jesus Christ be lacking? That's sort of a strange verse. What Paul means is this. He doesn't mean that what Jesus on the cross is inefficient to save us, right? Jesus died on the cross. Uh, that means we're forgiven of our sins. That means we don't have to worry about those sins anymore. That is done. It is complete. It is finished. But what Paul is saying is that Jesus Christ has ascended into heaven And he hasn't left us alone, but instead he's left us with two things in particular. One is the Spirit of God in us. Everyone who believes in Jesus has the Spirit of God in them. But two, he has given pastors to the church to lead and guide them in their spiritual growth. And so what Paul is saying is that if you're going to know the gospel, and if you're going to grow in the gospel, and if you're going to be protected from wolves and people who are trying to take advantage of you, that there's going to have to be someone who stands in the gap and suffers. And that is what pastors are supposed to do. Paul stood in the gap for the Colossian church. In White Oak, we stand in the gap for you. John and I have forsaken any resemblance of normalcy for your sake. We live, we eat, we breathe, we sleep, we dream White Oak. I mean, you can ask John's wife, Halsey. I'm sure that she gets tired of hearing about all the dreams and the hopes that we have for you and this church. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. I would not trade this position and this job for the world. If you leave with nothing else this morning, I want you to know that your pastors care about you and your spiritual health. We're devoting our lives to it. And what I want to do this morning, I'm going to have like some different points. And I'm going to talk about things that I do as a pastor. But then I'm also going to talk about and challenge you in ways that you can love and serve your pastors, right? Because it's a, it's a two-way street. So there are ways that we love and serve you and ways God has challenged us to do that. But there are also ways in which you can love and serve us. And so the first one of those applications is your pastors love and pray for you. Love and pray for your pastors. We need your love and prayer. 
Being a pastor means a, a lot of responsibility is put on top of you. Being a pastor means that you not only bear your own sin and the consequences of your own sin and the guilt of your own sin and your own life and your own struggles, but you also bear it on behalf of the people of the church. And so we bear double the weight. Not only that, but there is a target that Satan has put on our back for the sheer fact that we are pastors. Right? Satan's a very efficient being, right? So he knows if he can topple the pastors, he can maybe topple the church. So he's going after the pastors. He wants us to lose our faith. He wants us to fall to sin. He wants us to do all these different things because he knows if he does that, the church will suffer. Being a pastor means that there's no off switch, no office hours, no leaving work at the office. But instead, we are watchmen for the church who pray over the church at night and during the day. We need your love and we need your prayer because we are humans too. Your pastors love and pray for you. Love and pray for your pastors. Let's move on to verse 25. He says, Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. To make the word of God fully known. We're going to come back to that. I would underline that if you underline things in your Bible. To make the word of God fully known. Verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but is now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what Paul is saying is that God gave pastors and God gave him to the church for a reason. And the reason that God did that was to, quote, make the word of God fully known. The primary role of a pastor is to expound the word of God and to teach the word of God and to teach you how to live it out in your lives. That's what God has charged us to do. And I know that this can get kind of confusing for some people. And in love, and this is in total love, but I want to dispel some misconceptions about what pastors are supposed to be doing. And the first misconception, and I had this before I became a pastor, but some people see pastors as simply employees of the church. And like I said, I had this before, and maybe the older generation struggles with this a little bit more. And so if you need something moved, who are you going to call? A pastor, right? Or maybe you need doors unlocked, you're going to call the pastor. Or maybe you have a friend of a friend who's in need and, and you know, hey, I know a pastor. So you give us their number. This is what some people think about when they think about pastors. They're employees of the church. But look at verse 25. Paul says, he became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. So what Paul is saying is that he served God on behalf of the church. That he was the steward of the word on behalf of the church. And so Paul's primary, primary ministry was to preach the word. And in the same way, Pastor John and I's primary ministry to this church is to preach the word and to teach you the word and teach you how to live it out in your lives. So pastors, pastors are not employees of the church per se, but rather we are stewards of the word of God on behalf of the church. That we will answer to God in the ways in which we lead and teach. But basically God has loved you enough to appoint people in the church who would be in charge of your spiritual care until the day that he returned. Right? Jesus has left. One day he's going to come back. In the meantime, he has charged pastors to care for you and to protect you and to present you mature in Christ. Misconception number two, pastors are just big brothers. 
So this is, uh, I'm going to leave the older generation alone for a second. You guys can rest easy. This is the younger generation uh, sees pastors as sort of bigger or, or older brothers. You love the community. You love hanging out with us. But you don't allow pastors to have any spiritual authority or say or truth in your life. That you don't want us getting into your business. You don't want us speaking into your life. And so you just like the community, but you don't allow us to speak any authority over you and, and speak against sin and different things like that. But listen to what Paul says elsewhere in Hebrews. He says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So God has given us the authority to speak biblically, And as long as Pastor John and the other elders speak biblically into your life, the Bible calls us to listen and to heed those words of warning. So pastors are not your employees, nor are we your big brother, but we are men who specialize in the task of preaching the word of God. That is the role of the pastor in the church. And so during the week, you think about what happens like during the week for us. So I work Monday through Thursday, and then Friday and Saturday, I'm on call out of the office, right? Uh, But I still get phone calls on Friday and Saturday, because like I said, disaster strikes at all times of the day and all times of the week. But Monday through Thursday, what we're primarily trying to do is we're trying to prepare sermons from the Bible for Sunday morning, but we're also trying to prepare curriculum for our small groups to disciple the church. John leads a community group. I lead the youth on Wednesday nights and on Sunday morning. We're trying to lead the church in the way of Jesus through the ministry of the word. That is our primary responsibility. We are specialists in the word. Quick story. Um, A couple of weeks ago, I um, had to go to the dentist to get a root canal. Has anyone had a root canal before? A few people, if you know... I'm so sorry. It, it is like hell on earth. It's one of the most brutal things you can ever go through. And I'm a pretty strong guy. I think I'm not a sissy guy, but I had to stop them halfway through and be like, can you get some more of the anesthesia stuff on my mouth? Because they got needles and they're poking you like in the middle of the nerve, you know? So I, I went two Fridays ago and I basically, it was a good time. It was fine. You know, I, it wasn't too painful, but I went back this Friday and uh, it went longer than I thought it was going to go. And the people, uh, the dentist and the nurse that were with me, they spoke Vietnamese. And they were speaking Vietnamese to each other. And I didn't know what they were saying. Uh, but they started getting a little bit more heated. And I could tell that something had gone wrong, right? Which is, you don't want anything to go wrong when your mouth is open. you got tools inside of you, right? But something had gone wrong. Uh, so they take a couple of x-rays. And I get up and I, I look at the x-rays. And they said, one of the tools that we were using to clean out uh, your tooth actually broke off into your tooth. This is what happened to me this literally like three days ago, right? So I have a, this thing in my mouth and he's showing me, he said, we tried and tried and tried to get it out, but we just couldn't do it. We don't got the tools to do it. We just can't do it. We're going to have to refer you to a specialist. So right now I have a dentist drill uh, up here in my back molar as I'm preaching. And it, it, anyway, it doesn't hurt right now, but I'm on a lot of medication. But anyway, they had to refer me to a specialist. And so that's, that's kind of the point I want to make here, that John and I specialize in the Word of God. We're trained in it. We've gone to seminary in it. We're, we're trained to lead you in the Word, and we're here to equip you in how to live it out. We are specialists in the Word. And so if you want to love and serve us well, another way that you can do that is to guard your pastors from everything that keeps us from teaching you the Word of God. Guard your pastors from everything that keeps us from teaching you the Word of God. Because I think for anyone in here, regardless of whether you're a pastor, there's a lot of things that claw at your time. Amen? And the same for pastors. A lot of things claw at our time. There's a lot of people. There's a huge network. There's a lot of needs. 
And what we, my plea to you to love us is to help meet the needs in our community. That we are just two men in the church, and yet the Bible says that we all have the Spirit of God, and we can all serve one another. And so my encouragement to you is to guard us from everything that keeps, you from, keeps us from teaching the Word of God. Let's move on to verse 28 as we move through these verses here today. Verse 28, he says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So Paul is saying that he has a goal in teaching the word. The reason that he's got to protect his time to teach the word is because he's trying to do something with that. We're not just up here teaching for no other reason just to teach, but there's a goal in doing that. And Paul says the goal is to help people grow spiritually. Your pastors will answer to God for your spiritual maturity. Talk about something that keeps us up at night. Your pastors will answer to God for your spiritual maturity. That's what Paul says. He says, the reason that we proclaim, the reason that we warn, the reason that we teach is that we may present everyone mature in Christ. We will stand accountable to God for the spiritual maturity of this church in the last days. That's why we warn and we teach that's why we say hard things, things that we know you guys aren't going to like. We don't, we don't like to do that. We want to be liked, right? But we know that the Bible commands us to do things that times that we don't want to do. And the Bible exhorts us to give up sin and to walk in maturity. And we do that because we are called to hold um, you guys in spiritual maturity before Christ in the last days. And we will answer to God to do that. So if you want to help us and love us in that way... Work with us in desiring spiritual maturity. Work with us in desiring your spiritual maturity. We want you to grow in Jesus, but we cannot make you grow in Jesus, right? I mean, we we want you to grow, but we cannot make you grow. That instead, you have to grow, you have to desire it, you have to want it. Man, one of the things that I do as part of my uh, role in the church is I lead uh, the youth group. Do I have my youth in here? Can I get anything? Man, that was just, anyway, typically they love me on Wednesday nights. But anyway, so I lead them on Wednesday nights, and we recently started a concession stand, which has all, like, the goodies, like, sour Skittles and, like, M&Ms and stuff like that. Literally the first week, we made, like, $30. I mean, we're we're trying to get some healthy options in there. But anyway, so I I lead the youth, and uh, every Wednesday night, we open up the Word, just like we do here. And uh, I got to tell you, one of the greatest joys that I have in in leading the youth is when they actually start to get it, right? When they actually start to, to understand what I'm trying to tell them. Literally every single week I ask the same question, what is the gospel? I always ask, what is the gospel? Because for me, that is the most central thing that we can understand as a church. And and for me, I would feel like a failure if I left that youth group or if someone left that youth group and they were not able to articulate what is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's what I try to do for them. So one of the most amazing things for me is when people understand and begin to live it out in their lives. That's so rewarding for us as pastors. So make my joy complete by desiring spiritual maturity. That you can help John and I by desiring your own spiritual maturity. It will help you, and it will help us, and it will help us as a church when Christ returns. Let's look on to the final few verses. Chapter 2, verse 1. 
Paul says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, which was a town nearby to the Colossian church, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the full, uh, riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And let's zoom in on verse 4. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So verse 4, no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Your pastors protect you from those who want to confuse and harm you. That's one reason that you need a pastor. Your pastors protect you from those who want to confuse and harm you. Like I said before, we are a gospel-centered church. So we're going to preach every single Sunday that all you need to do to be saved is to believe in the gospel. Believe that Jesus Christ has died, rose, ascended into heaven, and offers free life to everyone who believes in him. We're going to die on that hill. But there are people out there who teach something different, right? Even people who say that they're Christians. And so part of what John and I's role is, is to protect you from those people. Your pastors protect you from people who would take advantage of you, not only in teaching, but also financially. It's amazing how many people come by the church and seek to take advantage of our goodwill and our good nature. And so part of what John and I try to do is we try to distinguish between those who actually need help and those who are just going to take advantage of the things that we give to them. That's part of what we do, and that happens every single week. We have people come and try to use the resources of the church, and so we sort of try to discern who should we give those resources to and who we shouldn't. We are watchmen over the church. So you can help us by being skeptical of anyone who wants to teach you without loving you first. Be skeptical of anyone who wants to teach you without loving you first. John and I are not perfect people by any means, right? I'm going to go on the record, public record, put it on the podcast. I'm a sinful person. I'm bad, right? I'm bad. I, I need Jesus Christ. But you know us, right? You know John and I. We've been here our entire lives. You know that we have your good in mind. And so one way that you can help us is by being skeptical of people outside the church who are trying to teach you. I'm not saying that there's not truth out there. There's a lot of great teachers out there. But my thing is to be skeptical of those people until you know that they're teaching the truth. Quick story. I was uh, at Starbucks one time reading my Bible because uh, I'm a pastor. That's what I do. I'm sitting outside reading my Bible and uh, uh, this guy comes up to me and he's like, oh, I see you're reading your Bible. And he starts uh, having a conversation with me. So I invite him to sit down and we're talking a little bit. And he starts asking me, uh, so what happened when you believed in the gospel? I'm like, it's kind of a weird question. I, I just kind of explained my testimony and stuff like that. He's like, what happened when you believed in the gospel? Did this happen or did this happen when you believed? And I was like, well, no, those things didn't happen. He said, well, guess what? You're not a true follower of Jesus. I said, what Bible are you reading? That's not the Bible that I'm getting, right? Romans chapter 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so I told him that. And he said, no, no, no. These things have to happen in order for you to be an actual believer. And in case you want to know, it was speaking in tongues. I'm not going to get into it. But he said, you have to do those things to be a true believer in Jesus. And I called him a false teacher to his face. I said, you are a false teacher. You are going around making people doubt their salvation when the Bible clearly says all you need to do is believe and have faith. And so that's what John and I do. We protect you from people who would go around and take advantage of you. 
So one way that you can help us is be skeptical of anyone who wants to teach you without knowing and loving you first. Like, I didn't know that guy. I didn't know him from Adam. And he comes and come up and try to, like, teach me something. I don't know if he loves me or if he's a wolf or what he is. So we need to be careful of those things and protect one another. All right, last verse, verse 5 of chapter 2. We really ran through these, but I think we're explaining it. Verse 5, for, those, uh, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Though I'm absent in body, I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing. Paul says, I rejoice. I'm, I'm excited to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So the reason that I teach you the word The reason that we want to present you mature in Christ, the reason that we want you to be assured is so that you can be firm in your faith. We don't want you oscillating back and forth between, man, I'm not even sure if I'm a Christian versus I'm super on fire for God over here this week. We want you to be firm in your faith, knowing exactly what you believe. That's what we want, and that's the goal of Paul's ministry, that they might be firm in their faith in Christ. I've given my life to help you stay firm in your faith. I'm going to give the rest of my years to make that happen as much as God desires for me to do that. So one of my final points, White Oak, this morning is that my family and friends will always have to share my heart with you. That my family and friends will always have to share my heart with you. That there is a special place in my heart for this church and for you as the people of this church Like I said before, I don't want prestige or money or honor. I want you to be firm in your faith. If I had that, that would make me one of the happiest people in the world. That I believe that John and I's legacy will be your firmness of faith in this church. We're going to continue to preach that. We're going to continue to exhort you to be firm in your faith. We're going to encourage you to be spiritual leaders in the church, to leave spiritual infancy, grow into spiritual adulthood, and lead other people in the faith. That is what we want with you. There's a deep angst in our hearts because we want that for you, wide of each and every person here this morning. I hope that your strong and unshakable faith will be our legacy. So as we draw to a close this morning, I just want to remind you of a few things. First, that John and I care about you more than most people will in this life, that we care about you deeply, that we want your good, that sometimes we're going to say hard things that you don't like, but that we do everything we do in love. Secondly, I want you to know that if you need prayer or counseling or if you don't understand a passage of the Bible and you need help with that passage, I want you to know that we are here and we are a resource for you. I think I put it up on the screen here. Uh, here's our email, and that's my personal cell phone number, 713-819-6037. If you need counseling or if you need help or if you need help with the Bible passage, I am here to help you. I or one of the elders will help you in that way. And then lastly, I want to remind you that we have established offices in the church of deacons and community group leaders that we have set in place to help you in your faith. Deacons serve in different capacities around the church, but they are very faithful men and they have very faithful wives. And if you want a list of who those people are and you want to walk with them, you want to roll with them, you want to learn with them, I can give you that list. We've also established community group leaders in this church. Because we we need help in the spiritual care of the people of this church. And so we have set up people, godly people. People who are not perfect, but people who want to help you grow in the faith. Take advantage of these resources if you feel like you're in spiritual infancy.
And my final plea, this is just from me to you, and just James Yandel to the church. Let's commit to each other the way Christ has committed to us. Let's commit to each other the way Christ has committed to us. John and I see you as family, right? John and I see you as family. We see you as our brothers and our sisters. So let's commit to one another. In dying on the cross, Christ has said, I love you enough to die for you. And I hope that if the opportunity came and we had to do it, that John and I would do that for you. And I pray that you would be committed to us as well. That you wouldn't uproot, that you wouldn't leave, that you wouldn't abandon us. That instead you'd stick with us in this life as we together walk toward Jesus. So that's my love letter to you. I hope you know that I love you, that I'm here for you, and that I pray for you every single day and desire your good. And uh, I just want to pray for you now. Um, as we close. Dear Heavenly Father, you're so good. Your church is your church is beautiful. Your people, just this mosaic, this tapestry of um, different needs, but different gifts and different hopes and different dreams, Lord. And yet we all come in here and we're all united under the reign of Jesus Christ. Father, I ask for your forgiveness in the ways that I've failed these people over the past year. I pray that you'd help me to be a better pastor, a more loving pastor, a more available pastor. I pray that you would help me in all those different ways, Lord. But most of all, I pray that you would impress upon them your love for them. I pray that you would remind them of your gospel every day. And remind them that they have someone here on earth, physically, who loves them and who is pouring their life out for them. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.